passage, who's going to dwell with God, uh, is really the title of the passage, uh, the title of the message this evening, who's going to dwell with God. And that's really the question that he asked in Psalm 15, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. And let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. God, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be gathered in your house around your word. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would just speak through me. I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can. And Father, I pray that you'd help my voice even to hold out tonight as I uh, speak and preach and teach. And uh, God, will certainly thank you for that. And God, I pray again that you would bless each and every uh, person that's here and those that are tuned in online listening, Father. And God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we look at this, he opens off the uh, psalm with a question right there. He says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And, uh, and it's an interesting question that he starts off with. And, and it's really, if you think about it this way, uh, the idea is who shall abide with the one and only supreme Lord God of the universe? In other words, he's saying, hey, uh, it's not necessarily in the tabernacle, it's not in the holy hill, but it is abiding with God. Uh, and you think about it like that, and it's like, wow, that's a, that's a different scenario altogether. And that's really the nature of his question that he's asking. Uh, you know, the thought is not about, as I stated, it's not about heaven, uh, the splendors of heaven, but it really, it's about God. Uh, and, and so uh, it's an interesting question. And his question is this, who is going to establish a permanent, solid residence with God? And that what a great question. You know, people today really should and need to contemplate, hey, are you going to spend eternity with God? That is the bottom question uh, that people need to contemplate and think about even today. Uh, look with me in verse number one there, and I love this. We have the, the residence with the Lord. Notice there in the very first word, he says, Lord. His address is, who is he addressing? He's addressing the Lord. He's not asking the general population. He's not going around to people and saying, uh, hey, can you tell me how I can take up residence with God? Uh, he, his question is directed to God himself. And, and listen, if you want to know, uh, if you are going, to, if you could take up residence with God, hey, God is the one that you have to ask, and God is the one that's going to give you the answer through the word of God. 
you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions who will tell you, a matter of fact, if you just run around and ask people, uh, hey, are you going to, uh, if you, are you, when, when you die someday, are you going to go to heaven? And ask them that. And, and many of them will say, well, I, I think so. And then you can ask them this, well, what do, you, what do you base that on? And boy, you'll get all kinds of different answers. A lot of people, well, because many people will tell you this, well, because I've done a lot of good works. And I think my good works are going to outweigh my bad works. And, and that sounds good for a lot of people, and that's what they'll tell you. And they, they think, well, I'm going to take up residence with God based on my works. Other people will tell you, well, because I'm very religious, or uh, because I've done this, or I've done that. Or uh, many people will tell you because, well, this is what I believe. But listen, it, it doesn't matter what we believe, and it doesn't matter what good works we have done or have not done. What it boils down to is what what does God say about those who are going to take up residence with him? Because that's ultimately all that matters. God is the one that's going to answer that question. And God is the one that determines the answer to that question. And therefore we are all, all of us, are subject to what God has already given us in his word. And so we find that he's asking the question, who? But he's asking as specifically to the Lord. And that's the great place to direct that question, uh, is to God. And that's where men must look. What is it that he's asking? Well, I kind of told you a little bit, but he says, who shall? I want you to notice two words in that verse. Uh, the two words are abide and dwell. Uh, those are more than just coming by for a visit. He's not coming by for dinner. He's not coming by for a short visit. He's not coming by for a short checkup. He is coming. Uh, they want to know, hey, who is it that is going to go and live and dwell and stay very much so in the presence of God? And that's the question that's being asked. The word abide means to rest, dwell, remain or stay. The word dwell means to abide as a permanent resident, inhabit or continue. And his question deals with residing or continuing in the very presence of God. This is what he's asking. He's saying, Lord, who shall uh, stay with you forever? Let's go on to tabernacle and, uh, and, and look at what he says there. He says, he talks about where. Um, and, and so we see who he's addressing. We see uh, really um, what he's asking about abiding there. And then where is it that he's talking about? You know, often we refer to heaven. And it's a wonderful place. Go back and we'll, we'll eventually, we'll get to it in the book of Revelation. It talks about heaven. And, uh, and it's a wonderful place. It truly is. And uh, we comment about all the splendors of it. And it truly is a remarkable place. But can I tell you this this evening? That God is what makes heaven so wonderful. If you were in heaven and God was not there, it would not be heaven. Uh, because it's the presence of God that makes it what it is. And the psalmist gets right down to the very earnest uh, of it all. And he's not talking about the splendors of heaven. He's not talking about the miracle of, of being in, without pain and in a perfect place and, and the mansions that are there and the streets of gold. He's talking specifically about being in the very presence of God. 
What an exciting question that he asks. I want you to notice this. He makes two references. One is the tabernacle. And man, I, I enjoyed studying out the tabernacle just a little bit and tracing the, uh, the, the history of the tabernacle. You know the tabernacle, of course you know it was started way back when the Israel came out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they crossed over the Red Sea and God brought them into the wilderness. And in the book of Exodus, if you've ever read through it, you hit towards the end of the passage where it lays out for you every cubit of how the tabernacle is made. And you read all of that and if I'm, I am terrible at picturing stuff, and I thank God for people who can go back and read it and reconstruct out of that because I'm not very good at that. Uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, man, I, I follow the pictures on putting things together more than following the words. All right, that's just how I am. But, but, you know, he lays it out word for word, every instruction of how they were to build it. And God made a place, this is a wonderful thing, that God would dwell with Israel. What an amazing thing. This had never been done before. And so now they have the very presence of God. Ever since they left Egypt, you remember when the Egyptians were coming after them and they were scared to death. They did not have an army. And the Egyptians had an army. And God said, hey, listen, I'm going to come down in the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night. And he put himself between the nation of Israel and the Egyptian army that was pursuing them as a protection to them. And he dwelt with the nation of Israel and they made that, that tabernacle. And inside of that tabernacle was a place that was called the Holy of Holies. And there was the Ark of the Covenant that God said, hey, listen, inside of the Holy of Holies is where I'm going to dwell. And that high priest would only go in there one time a year to offer the sacrifice. It was the location of God. And listen, what a marvelous thing, because if you think about this, the nation of Israel then wandered in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. And as they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years, hey, they went from place to place. But listen, God was with them every step of the way. And they packed that tabernacle up, they moved it, and God continued with them and moved with them everywhere that they went. I found it really interesting, and I thought, you know, whatever happened to that tabernacle? Because here, David is describing the tabernacle. You understand and realize that David did not build the temple. You understand that? He wanted to. But God said, no, you can't build it. I went back and I reread that chapter and it's quite amazing because uh, David wanted to build it, but God would not let him. He said, no, you're a man of, of, of war and a man of bloody hands. And I tell you what, I'll let your son build it. And so Solomon built the temple. So this is a Psalm of David. The temple was not around. So what happened to that, that tabernacle? Well, you remember when the Philistine army came and attacked in the time of, of Eli and Samuel when he was a little boy and, and they, the, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and, and took it away. And, uh, and, and after that time, it was gone for a while and finally the Philistines got fed up with it and sent it back on a, on a cart. Well, they did not put it back in the, in the, in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle then was moved around under King Saul eventually. And, uh, and it was moved from Nob and then it was moved to Gibeon and, and it stayed there. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was never really put back into the tabernacle. Finally, Saul's uh, kingdom ended and David became king. And, uh, and David, you'll remember this, he said, hey, we want that Ark of the Covenant brought back up here. 
It represented the, the presence of God. And so he, he went down and they brought that Ark of the Covenant. And, and we don't have, I love the story of Uzziah. And listen, Uzziah, uh, I believe, was a good-intentioned man trying to do good. And, and he reached up to touch the Ark of the Covenant to try and stabilize it because it was being drawn on a cart ox, uh, or a, a cart drawn by an ox, and it hit a rough patch in the road. And so he stabilized it. And God struck him dead. And David said, man, I'm, I'm not bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. That's not happening. Into the city of David. And so uh, for several months, he took it over to the house of Obed-Edom, and it stayed there for several months. And, and the Bible says, this is amazing, that God blessed the house of Obed-Edom where the Ark of God was setting. And, and that, that news finally came to David, and David said, you know what? I want the Ark of the Covenant brought and so they brought the Ark of the Covenant, and David actually had left the original tabernacle in Gibeon, uh, following what I understand, and he had rebuilt a new one. And the Bible says that he, um, let's see here, he put it uh, in that holy hill. Let's see here. The tabernacle continued to be used without the Ark of the Covenant, and it finally was placed in Gibeon under Saul. David built a new tabernacle in Jerusalem, which was used until the temple was built. And uh, I don't remember if he had put that Ark of the Covenant there in the tabernacle, but nonetheless, that tabernacle uh, was built there in Jerusalem, the new tabernacle that David had built. And, uh, and, and as you're setting in the city of David, the city of David sits on the south side of Jerusalem. It is not Jerusalem. It's an outskirt of Jerusalem. And you look up to Jerusalem, and right up there is the, the Mount Moriah where, uh, where Solomon built the temple. And I just, in my mind's eye, I kind of think that's where David place that tabernacle. I don't know. I don't have verses to, to reference that. But what I'm saying is this. He's asking the question, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Hey, listen, the tabernacle for all those years represented the very presence of God. It was the house of the Ark of the Covenant, except for that time when the Ark of the Covenant was wandering and God was blessing in other places wherever it would fall. And then finally, uh, David would bring that back in and, uh, and put it in that tabernacle that he had placed in Jerusalem. And what I'm saying is this, that, hey, listen, that represented the very presence of God for Israel and their life. What an amazing time for that. Not only that, but I want you to notice this. He says, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? The second question he asks, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? That holy hill, that's Jerusalem. That's Mount Moriah, where the temple was eventually built. The city of David, as I mentioned, is located just south of Jerusalem. We sat, we stood there and uh, overlooked the city of David and overlooked uh, uh, the, the temple mount and, and all of that on the, the Mount of Olives. And that is the Mount of Moriah. Go with me, save your spot here in, in Psalms chapter 15. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter number 3. And I want you to see this in the, in the Word of God. I, uh, I, I did not make this connection until we were standing on the Mount of Olives and they stated that. Second Chronicles chapter number 3, and here it is plain in black and white, and I'm sure I've read it a hundred times, it just never 
dawned on me that the uh, Mount of Moriah was where they constructed the temple. The Bible says here in 2 Chronicles chapter number 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. You remember the time when there, there was that, uh, that David had numbered the nation of Israel and God sent a plague and David went up to the, uh, the threshing floor of Ornan and, and said, I'm gonna st I need to offer a sacrifice right here. And Ornan said, hey, I'm going to give it to you. And David said, oh no, you're not giving it to me. I won't offer something of the Lord that has cost me nothing. What a tremendous message on sacrifice. And David paid the price of it and bought the threshing floor of Ornan. And there he offered a sacrifice. That was on Mount Moriah. And by the way, if you go back and you trace it all the way back, listen, it's precious. You go all the way back to Abraham. When Abraham climbed up that Mount Moriah and God said, hey, I want you to offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice. That's the same mount. Same place. It's a historic, it's a holy hill, as David would call it. It's a place of great significance to all the Israelites and to all the Jewish people that would recognize it and understand, hey, that is a holy hill. That's where the temple was built. That's where David's tabernacle was. That's where Abraham's sacrifice was. That's where the... the, uh, the, the threshing floor of Ornan was that David had purchased and offered that sacrifice. That was the place. And what David is saying is, listen, that is a holy, precious place to meet with God. It was more than just heaven. It wasn't heaven at all. He never called it heaven. It was an encounter and it was a place where God and a relationship with God could be established. And it was there that David was saying, hey, who is it that's going to dwell there? It's an amazing place, the Temple Mount. I'll tell you this really quick. That's just kind of an educational portion, really, of it. Our, our Jewish guide, as we went up to the Temple Mount, uh, he, he only went up so far. Uh, today, it's under the control of Muslim control, and so it's not controlled by the Jews. And, and uh, our Jewish guide would only go so far, and then he stopped. He said, I'm not going any further. And, uh, and he said, Brother Charlie, I'll take you the rest of the way up, and he'll talk to you about it up there. And, and so we did. We went up, and we talked about it, and... And uh, Brother Charlie explained to us, he said, Jews won't come up here. Many of the Jews, well, even our guide explained to us, he said, most Jews won't go up there for this very reason, because on that holy, uh, that, that temple mount, uh, somewhere they believe was the original, of course, the temple uh, of Solomon's temple. And then also they think the Ark of the Covenant may very well be buried in that same mount, and they don't want to desecrate it with their foot, because they don't want to be struck dead. In other words, they believe that is the presence of the holiness of God Almighty that's still to this day in that mountain. That's what they believe. I'm just telling you what the Jewish mind thinks of that place. And what I'm saying is David would have looked at that place as a holy place of God and said, who is going to dwell with God? Aren't you glad you're a Christian in 2022? And we don't have to travel to Jerusalem 
and offer sacrifices and go to the holy mount of God and that we can go 15 minutes, 20 minutes down the road and open our Bible so you don't even have to come to the church house to meet with God. Uh, bless God, you ought to come to the church house when the doors are open, but man, you can at home uh, open your Bible and meet with God in your living room. Hey, we ought to thank the Lord. We don't have to do all, that we don't have to look to a mountain or a place. But I'm just telling you, David was looking to those things and he was saying, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? In other words, in the very presence of God, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Because it was a place where God's presence was definitely recognized and known that was there in that holy hill of Jerusalem. Look at what his answer is in the requirements. Verses, uh, verses 2 down through 5, we have the requirements. We have the uh, re residence with God in verse number 1. In verse number 2 through 5, we have the requirement. Look what he says in verse 2. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to... I'm in the wrong chapter. Uh, chapter 2. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. I want you to notice verse number two is, uh, is righteousness within. Let me just stop and tell you this about the requirement right now, is that I'll tell you this, that the bar is set too high, and we can't make it. Amen. It's too high. You read these verses, and you're going to find out we don't qualify. Nobody qualifies. Come to, come to realize we can't qualify to abide with the Almighty. Uh, he says there in verse number two, he says, He that walketh uprightly. I got three W's under this righteousness within. It's walketh, that's the direction of your life. It's worketh righteousness. And then it's words of truthfulness. And he lays them right out there for us. And, and listen, he's saying, hey, you got to walk upright. That's somebody who lives right. And you think, well, that's pretty stringent. Look with me in Genesis. Well, you know, yeah, go with me to Genesis. Save your spot here. Go with me to Genesis 17, verse number one. This is a verse of Abraham. Look at what, what God told Abraham in, in Genesis chapter number 17 and verse number 1. He said this, Genesis 17 and verse number 1, And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Look at what he said. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Well, that's a pretty high bar. Well, yeah, it is a high bar. God sets a high bar. And we find that uh, he says there in verse number two, he that walketh uprightly. Hey, listen, that's a high bar to, to, uh, 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 to, uh, for us to, to try and get to. Not only that, but he says, uh, and worketh righteousness. It's not just living right and walking right, but also working righteousness. I kind of love the wording of that because I'll tell you this, that righteousness does not come by accident. Hey, it requires some effort on our part. It's not something that's simple or easy to get. Uh, it's something that requires work on our part. And he worketh righteousness, and he speaketh the truth in his heart. In other words, hey, uh, our words ought to be truthful, and our actions are tied to the pure heart. Uh, I think it was Preston said this. Uh, I heard it in one of the messages. 
uh, it says if there's a pure water in the well, uh, that is what the bucket is going to bring up. Amen. I like that. I thought that was really good. I think he said his youth pastor used to say that. And uh, boy, that's that's a great truth right there. And so we have righteousness within that he gives us. Look at verses 3 through 5. We won't spend a lot of time here, but I want you to recognize these. And this is righteousness without. He said there in verse number 3 that <clears throat> I keep jumping up to chapter 14 there in my, my Bible. Verse number 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. In other words, hey, don't be tearing people down. Uh, don't be gossiping. Don't be destroying other people. He says, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. In other words, somebody who uh, he's saying, hey, don't uh, try and be cruel or mean or, or wicked to your neighbor. Uh, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. In other words, uh, don't blame your neighbor for other stuff. Uh, verse number four, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. In other words, uh, he, he does not like sin. He does not like wickedness. He's not going to run around with those who do that. But he does honor those who do fear the Lord. Verse number four, I'll help clarify this. It says at the end, that last phrase, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Took me a couple times reading that to figure that out. And that's basically somebody who vows and then even though it costs them something, it will, it will hurt them, they're going to fulfill their vow no matter what. In other words, he that sweareth, though it costs him something, he's going to be honest and he's going to keep his word at, at all cost if it's at all possible. He is going to do everything within his, within his power to be honest and to keep his word. And then verse 5, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocents. In other words, he's not out to take advantage of other people. He's not lending money out so that he can get money back from them and, and things like that. Uh, this is the bar that is set for those who would dwell with God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 22. I want you to see these verses because... If you think about this, it's laid out very similar to the way Jesus summed it up in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35. Matthew 22 and verse 35. We'll go back up to verse 34. Verse 34, the Bible says, Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? I love Jesus' answer. Look what he says in verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Boy, that's very similar to what we just read. In verse number two, he said, live righteously, walk right, walk uprightly, uh, work righteousness, and, and do what is right. And, and in other words, hey, if you're doing that, you're loving God. 
uh, because God is the one that has all that righteousness. And then the next several verses, he's dealing with how you treat other people. Don't be mean to other people. Uh, don't, don't try and uh, blame your neighbor. Don't tear down other people. Uh, don't try and abuse and take advantage of other people. In other words, he's talking about his, the neighbors and loving thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus sums it all up and says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. David pretty much summed it up the same way. In verse number two, you see the personal, personal righteousness within. In verses three through five, you see the righteousness without and how we are to treat other people. You get all the way to the end and you want, we find... In the New Testament, we find that righteousness is only through Jesus Christ. We can't, we can't meet that bar. In other words, what, what's there is, hey, we, we can't live righteously. It's not possible. Not without God's help. We can't walk uprightly. It's not possible in and of ourselves. Not without God's help. We can't live out these things without God's help. The Bible says in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, we can't attain to those things. But we can through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. The Bible says there is, we, we saw it in one of the other Psalms. I was looking for it and I didn't see it right off the top of my head. But, uh, but it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3.10. And he's actually quoting one of these Psalms here that we'd already studied. Uh, he said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Go with me to Romans chapter 4. I want you to see these verses in Romans 4. Because here's where the righteousness and here's where the abiding with God comes in. Romans chapter number 4, verse number 22, Romans 4, 22. The Bible says this, it's talking about Abraham, and it's talking about how he was, uh, the righteousness was imputed unto him. Um, by the way, that word impute means to put on your, our account. Uh, verse 22. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That's talking about Abraham. Verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Boy, what great verses. In other words, hey, we can't attain in and of ourselves. We can't uh, be imputed righteousness because of our good works, because of keeping the law, because of walking uprightly and working righteousness and arriving to that level of perfection. It's not possible within us. But I tell you what, it is imputed unto us through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And we have salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible says... Um, Go with me to two more passages. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 
Because we started out this psalm with the question, who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And the Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? It's a question. He's asking, hey, you should know this. You are saved. You're born again. That, the, that you are the temple. Just like that tabernacle represented the presence of God uh, for them. And then finally, that tabernacle, when it was built, it, it was the presence of God. Go with me to 2 Timothy. We see the same thing. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And today, we have the very presence of God. Praise the Lord. We don't have to go to a tabernacle or to a, a temple and offer sacrifices to be at the presence of God. We have the presence of God with us. He dwells with us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. The Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He says, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good things which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Praise the Lord. We have the very dwelling of God with us. He says... In the beginning of the psalm, who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? You know, it was, it was something to go to Israel. It was amazing to see the Temple Mount. But I tell you what, honestly, we have the Holy Spirit with us every day. You don't have to go to Israel to meet God. You don't have to see the Temple Mount to know who God is. You don't have to, uh, to be in Israel. You know what you got to do? You got to read the Word of God and know Jesus Christ. And, and listen, trusting Him as your own personal Savior, hey, He will dwell with you and He is in you. And, and listen, He will abide with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Praise the Lord that we in 2022, ever since Jesus Christ died on the cross, hey, we have that promise ever since uh, Jesus ascended up into heaven and the Holy Spirit came down. And listen, ever since then, whenever a believer gets saved and trusts the Lord as their, their own personal Savior, uh, listen, the Holy Spirit dwells with them. And we have that promise of that dwelling. David's asking the Lord, and I don't know, do you know the Old Testament saints? I'm sure they struggled. I know God said in the Old Testament, my spirit will not always strive with man. And they didn't have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on their life. But praise the Lord, we do. And thank the Lord for that promise and that we can abide with Him. So I hope and pray that that's a help and a blessing as psalmist is contemplating that in this passage, and he's saying, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And certainly he had a desire to be with God, and certainly he desired uh, to, to have the presence of God in his life. Hey, listen, we ought not take that for granted, because we do have it 
in our life. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we... Not in a, in a Lewis's, though they're home on furlough, God, certainly it's a needed time. I thank you that their work is continuing to go forward and reach out and reach other places. And God